This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. In a previous interview with Cortez Currents, Bernie Amell mentioned tools that allow development to occur while respecting natural water balance. Amell is the co-owner of the environmental design firm Source to Source and a recognized expert in the design of constructed wetlands for water treatment and the restoration of streams and riparian habitats. He's designed over 135 such projects throughout Alberta and British Columbia and has presented his work at national and international water management professional conferences. Amel lives on Quadra Island, and in today's interview, he talks about learning to work with a natural water balance. Natural water balance is an idea that has been generated in the past 20 years by people in the stormwater management world. For a long time, we would build cities, we would build industries and so on. We just build pipes and take the water away because too much water, as we see now in the lower mainland, can be extremely damaging. And so when you build even a single house or a farm or something, one of the first things you naturally have to do is make sure you're not waiting in water during wet seasons. And so in a single family house, you might put in a, a ditch or something. In a farm, you would put in ditches that take the water away from the farmstead out to the fields, that sort of thing. And it's pretty humble. It seems like you're not really doing much to the hydrology, but in fact, you are. So what has happened in the stormwater management world is to recognize that even fairly humble things that we all take for granted, like curbs on roads and roadside ditches and the ditches in farm fields and so on, change the hydrology. Most human activities do. We put a a certain investment into a house or a a farm or whatever. And there is this idea of micro topography that the the grading and soil levels and, and so on usually have a roughness to them. You have these millennia of big trees developing and then blowing over in the wind and their root cavities gradually fill up and you, you end up with a very hummocky land. And that's just the way things develop. One of the first things that people do when they're putting money into building a house or whatever, they, you know, okay, I I can't really have that seasonal pocket of, of water right outside my side door or threatening my foundation. So they drain it off to somewhere. There was no real thought of what happened to the somewhere as in the the streams and the wetlands and and so on. For me, this idea of a natural water balance was quite a kind of eye-opener. When you do these human activities, you have these almost micro effects. Sometimes they're large effects, but let's say we're dealing with just individual houses around Cortez Island or whatever. Let's say you put in a house and it has a roof. The roof has 100% runoff and you have a parking area which after it's been used a few years, is pretty much 100% runoff. So now you're producing a concentrated amount of water from a certain area, you've done it. And there's no blame in it. Is there a countervailing thing that can be done so that your property in total equals the natural water balance of the landscape? Yes, there is a whole set of fairly humble tools to maintain a natural water balance close to the point where the human impact has occurred. That's one of the principles of natural water balance is that 
the smaller scale and the closer you can get to the, the roof that actually generated the drainage, now you're dealing with a, a bit of water and it's easy to manage in a small scale uh, landscape. I've worked on projects in the, in the city where you end up with multiple city blocks and they generate quite a lot of water. It's still possible to do it, but it's more expensive. So a natural water balance is this. Everyone remembers from grade five, the big circular water cycle. If you delve into the detail of when the rain falls on the ground, usually you just see the vegetation and the soil. There's a certain amount of the rainfall that's caught in the canopy, never actually makes it to the ground, called intercepted water. There's not much in this rainy season, but taken the whole year, it's probably 5% to 10%. Then there's a spongy layer of humus and leaves and everything and surficial vegetation and roots that take a very high proportion of the water into the ground and it doesn't run off. There are these low pockets that hold the water as well and they have to completely fill before the landscape starts to spill from pocket to pocket in a way. And then there's the deep infiltration, which in parts of Quadra, where I live, there's very, very slow penetration because of the compaction. The layer below the soil is very compacted by the glacier. And I think that's true also of the south end of Cortez. You get down a half a meter and you're into this hard pan. They call it clay, but it, it isn't actually clay. It's just compressed silt and sand. But in any case, it has this effect of infiltration can't happen straight down, but it can happen sideways. So, so that's the deep infiltration. And then there's the evapotranspiration from the trees using it. So there's a balance between all these things. And how can we then say, okay, humans, when they move on to the landscape for all kinds of very understandable reasons, modify the natural water balance, what are the countervailing things? And they're very simple. Like what one of them of a good scale that you've put in a Cortez was the uh, wetland conservation and, and regeneration. He's referring to the Dillon Creek Wetlands Restoration Project at Linnea, which helps filter the flow of nitrates into Gunflint Lake. At a much smaller scale, you can simply have pockets of vegetation with a kind of deep soil profile and on individual properties that can act as uh, sponge essentially enhance the sponge for let's say calculated to take the runoff from somebody's roof it goes beyond planting because you're putting an unusual amount of water on those few square meters it requires a kind of structured bed so you put the plants on but the, the structured soil with an ability for the low portion of that soil not to become stagnant. It has to find a way to biofilter beds. There's different terms for it. Actually, I, I really like the, the British term because you know how Brits like beer. They call them SUDs, Sustainable Urban Drainage Systems. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> relative to that wetland system, the wetland system serves a larger catchment. If you're dealing with a few acres of land around a house, you might just focus on biofilter beds because you could integrate it, say, with a fruit orchard or something like that. 
that will also benefit from having deeper rooted soil conditions. You have to deliberately create it. If you've created the roof and the pavement that increases runoff from one area, you have to do some deliberation somewhere else. I call it countervailing effects. So that's what the core of the natural water balance is about, is understanding the kind of nitty gritties of the water cycle on your property and then saying, okay, I've done inescapable things that affect it. What can I do to bring things back into balance? It's very interesting to understand how much water is captured on the land and then reused by the local trees and infiltrates to groundwater. It's commonly in excess of half the water. It doesn't run off. It is used up on the land. In some places, it's 80 to 90 percent. I think in the temperate rainforest, it's a higher percent of a runoff, but it's still probably 50 percent of the water that falls in an area doesn't run off the land. It's, it goes into the ground or is used by the vegetation on the property. How do you respect that cycle and maintain that natural water balance? I've noticed on my island that if you don't take that water and find a way to restrain it a bit somewhere, somehow, you end up sending more water more rapidly to the creeks on the landscape. And those creeks immediately respond by digging themselves into the land. They become incised. And I can see it here on Quadra Island. There is more flow than occurred 100 years ago going to those creeks. It's, it's so obvious. You get this V-shaped thing. And again, it's not to point blame at anybody. People did this and thought they were having no effect, but they are. And, and the solutions to it are really just having your eyes open to it and then being willing to take the responsibility on a site-by-site -site basis for maintaining a natural water balance. Could you give us some examples? Uh, okay. All of my deep knowledge is based in Alberta, unfortunately. <laughs> so I was working on a project about 15 years ago. It was a landfill site on the east side of Calgary. And there was an old seasonal creek running through the land. They were building a landfill site. They didn't care about the environment. 60 years ago when they first started building this thing. So they just ditched it. And every time there'd be a major storm, the ditches were overflow in the middle of their landfill site. So what we did is to say, okay, you got the landfill, you've invested the money in the infrastructure of a landfill, great. What we need to do is to create an equivalent creek valley that goes around the landfill that can become, by all purposes, a natural replacement for what had been there before. That's what happened. There was about a kilometer and a half of creek valley created beside the landfill. And then we got the water to go through there. It has a U-shaped valley, so it has a fl little floodplain to it. And it's taking care of itself just fine. And, and then we brought in native species and got things restarted. It'll take decades, but the natural process has come back quite vigorously. That's on a bigger scale, but it shows you that it can be quite effective. If you've been to a landfill site, you know the degree of landscape damage that 
that those pose, well, even that can be managed. If there's enough money and effort put into not just building a landfill, but dealing with the natural effects of the landfill. Give me another example. Another example is a project where they built a subdivision and below the subdivision was a kind of gravel layer when this was aspen woods and grazing land and everything most of the water would go down to that gravel layer and then move out to the adjacent creek valley the creek valley had a system of springs in it called marshall springs that were well known people would go and get water and so on after they built the subdivision about 10 years later they noticed there's no marshall springs anymore they're just dried right up because all the storm water had come down been picked up in pipes and shot directly to the creek without going through the ground. So there was this project to intercept that storm pipe. Oops, we made a mistake. Run it through some treatment wetlands and then get it to soak into the ground. Within four months of doing that, the springs are back. Let's go for three. Can you tell us about another project? This year, another project I was involved in, we won a Cross Canada first prize with the Landscape Architectures Association. Their gold medal was for this particular project. There's an, an area of the river valley that was had these giant storm pipes coming and they serve 1,800 hectares of city, freeways, etc dumping into the river at a, a primo trout spawning area. And at that point in the river, there happened also have been a historic gravel pit operation. So there was a piece of damaged land down in the river valley. There's this giant storm pipe. And then there's the river. So we redirected the storm pipe created a sediment removal feature and then a treatment wetland and then a soaking infiltration area in order to protect the river. And again, that, that's a massive scale and the biodiversity is developing very rapidly because we paid a lot of attention to the habitat creation side of it. it was, we're not just looking at the engineering function, we were looking at the environmental function of the system. So that's as big a scale as we have in Canada, that particular project. It, but it worked. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's working really well. In fact, the engineers who uh, manage the sediment removal operations, they're singing its praises because it's easy for them to take care of. So again, this is very much uh, just acknowledge the effect that human use has and sit at the feet of Mother Nature and say, what are you telling me here? That's what biomimicry is. There's a larger movement uh, internationally called biomimicry, which is put away the human hubris, pay a lot of attention to all the natural forms that are occurring in the world, because usually they turn out to be generating beauty and biodiversity and doing all these things for virtually free. If you just have the humility to say humans need to pay more attention to what nature's trying to say. 
You've been listening to an interview with Bernie Amell, a retired environmental designer living on Quadra Island, about learning to work with the natural water balance. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.